Thank you for being with us at Destiny Church, where we believe that God has a plan, a purpose, a call, divine plan and purpose for every soul. Amen. My name is Matt Bell, and I am the pastor here, and I just want to welcome you and thank you for being with us at Destiny Church. We're so glad that you're here today, and it's our hope for you that as you spend time uh, in God's presence today with God's people today, that you do encounter the Lord and that you know more of His divine call and destiny that He has on your life. Uh, This morning, I'm bringing you a message today from the Word of God uh, that is uh, fresh this morning. This is a fresh word uh, from the Lord, I believe, uh, for us today. Um, In fact, I think the, the pages are still warm from going through the printer on my notes. Uh, you know, sometimes, usually, I seek the Lord throughout the week and have a good direction from Him and have the message ready, uh, but no matter what, I always get here early to seek the Lord and to, to try and discern His will, and sometimes, not, not often, but sometimes like today, uh, you end up kind of throwing out what you had and, and going with something you feel like is from the Lord for today. So that's what I'm doing today. So if it feels a little rough or, you know, like it's not all that well put together, it's because it is a little rough and not all that well put together. However, I do believe it is from the Lord and will be a blessing to you today. Amen. Uh, So I had on my heart a a desire to bring you something that would be helpful to you in your Christian life. How many of you are Christians here today? Amen. Amen. And so I wanted to bring you something practical that will help you as you endeavor to live your life every day and to walk with the Lord every day. Uh, For many here today, this will simply be a reminder of what you already know, but how many of you know that you need to be reminded of what you know all the time? I mean, that's just, you know, all the time I need to be reminded of what I already know. For others, it may be something new. And for all of us here today, what I love about the church and what I love about specifically our church, Destiny Church, is this is a very diverse group of people here today. We have young people who are here today. We have other people who aren't so young here today. Uh, And if you simply chronologically speaking, you could call yourselves old today. Uh, Age is really a mindset, but there are some who are closer to birth and some who are closer to seeing the Lord today. That's just the reality. But I thank the Lord that we're, we're all here together, that it's not just a church of 20-somethings or 30-somethings or 40-somethings or 80-somethings, but that we're a very diverse group of people as far as age goes. We're also a diverse group of people as far as background goes. None of us had the same upbringing. Some people here today had two parents in the home. Some people here were raised by their father, some raised by their mother, uh, some raised by their grandparents, some were orphaned. We don't have the same background. We don't have the same uh, economic uh, upbringing. Some came from means and some uh, came from nothing. We don't have the same education background. There are some here today who, who didn't finish high school. There are some who are, have gone all the way to earning their PhD. We don't have the same cultural background or racial background or political leanings. What is it 
then that gathers all of us here week in and week out from such a diverse group of people and diverse background. It's Jesus. It's, it's one thing that we love God and we desire to meet with Him and to know Him and to walk with Him and to learn of Him and to encounter His love and to encounter His Spirit and to have uh, an intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus. This is what unites us. Amen. Amen. That we would have fellowship with God and fellowship with His people. Now, if you're here for another reason today, um, I, I can't even imagine what that would be. Uh, maybe you wanted to turn off your air conditioning and come and get free AC for a couple hours. I don't know. If so, I'm glad that you're here today. Maybe you just wanted a few hours away from your children, and we've got free childcare on Sundays, and so maybe that's the big draw. I, I, I don't know if you came for another reason today. I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad you're here today. I don't know if you'll find what you're looking for, if you're looking for something other than relationship with God and Jesus, but I'm still glad that you're here today. But this is, this is what unites us. This is why we're here. We are God's people. We come to worship him and to meet with his people. Now, uh, typically, we call ourselves Christians. I asked who's a Christian here today, and everybody shouted, woohoo, ha-ha, hooray. And that's a good thing. The, the word Christian, it actually dates back to the New Testament. We find the first use of the word Christian in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 11, verse 26 says that Barnabas and Saul, they met together uh, at the church in Antioch for a whole year, and that when they were doing so, great numbers of people came to the Lord, and it says that the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Now, the word Christian, do you know what it means? It, it, no, it actually doesn't mean follower of Christ. That would be a disciple. The word Christian actually means little Christ. Little Christ. And what happened was in Antioch, as the Christians, as God's people came together and began to, to follow the teachings of Jesus, they began to have this reputation that they were like little Christs or little Jesuses. And so they would be in some sort of social interaction and you know, the Christian would say, I, I have to abstain from this. I can't do this because Jesus wouldn't do this. And they'd be in another situation and say, well, this is what I have to do in this situation because this is what Jesus would do. And as a Christian, I'm called to live like Jesus. And so in this city, the people of God, they began to be known as little Christs. And it wasn't a, a good term. It was a derogatory term that the, the people outside of the church were calling these people, these little Christs. He won't come to my birthday party or he won't do this or that or whatever. He won't cheat on his taxes and he costs me a lot of money because he's trying to be a person of integrity. But this little Christ, whatever, it, it was a derogatory term. Well, the Christians heard that and they thought, you know what, that's, that's actually really cool. That's what we're trying to be. So they took that term that was meant as a, as a, as a tear down and they said, yeah, that's who we are. We're called to live as Christ as the world. We will call ourselves Christians. Now, when you listen to the news, how many of you listen to the news? Yeah, I can hear your groanings, right? Ugh, the news. 
If you, if you pay attention to the news, whether you listen to it, you read it, you watch it, whatever, there's a lot that's said in the news and in the culture surrounding Christians. Do you pick up on that? Do you pay attention? Do you hear that? Specifically, evangelicals or evangelical Christians. Now, when it's brought up in the news, it's typically related to an issue of politics. Politics. And so they'll say things like, this is how the evangelicals vote or are going to vote or whatever. But I want to tell you something today. Being a Christian is not a matter of politics. Thank you, three people. It, it has nothing to do with a political party. Yet, the, the culture wants to lump Christianity into a, a political box. Being a Christian is something so much more than being a part of a political party. There were Christians in the world before the Republican Party was founded. I don't know if you knew that. There will be Christians in the world when there no longer is a Republican Party. Some of you have a hard time believing that, that these two things are not tied together inseparably. Nevertheless, in the news and in the culture, a lot of times they lump these two things together. And so there's a lot of confusion in the culture about what it means to be a Christian. There is so much confusion in the world and in the culture about what a Christian is and what it means to be a Christian. And so if I went and picked 10 random people off the street and asked them, what does it mean to be a Christian, I would probably get 10 different results, 10 different answers people would give. Some people would say, well, Christians are people that go to church, or Christians are people that have been baptized, or Christians are people who were confirmed as a child, or who went through catechism. Or people, uh, Christians are people who adhere to a, a certain moral code or who confess certain creeds. Now, all of these things are great. There's nothing wrong with these things. It's good to be baptized. It's good to hold to certain confessional creeds. It's good to have a, a good moral code. It's good to, to have gone through confession. There's nothing wrong with those things. Those are all great things. But none of those things make you a Christian. None of those things make you a Christian. You can do all of those things and not be a Christian. If you ask some other people what it means to be a Christian, there's some people in the culture who don't have a favorable view of Christians. So they would say things like, well, if you're a Christian, that makes you a hypocrite or you're bigoted, or intolerant, or unloving, or you're a legalist, or narrow-minded, or ignorant, or unintelligent. You know, a really lovely list of things there. How many of you have felt that stigma attached to being a Christian? Those things don't make you a Christian either. Can I get an amen and thank God? So what does it mean? Where, where do we find out? How do we know what it is to be a Christian? We certainly cannot take our cues from the culture on what it means to be a Christian. I used to watch uh, the Larry King show. How many remember the Larry King show? And then after he retired, he had uh, Piers Morgan who came on and ran his show into the ground and destroyed it. Um, 
But one of my favorite things was when they would have pastors on that show. And, and these men who are not Christians would lecture pastors on what it means to be a Christian. And they would say, well, isn't, doesn't, it mean, doesn't it mean this to be a Christian? And they would say, actually, well, no. This is what the Bible says. And they says, yeah, but really to, to, to embody the spirit of what a Christian is, it should be this or that. And there are many people today who have this vague idea of what it means to be a Christian that's sort of seeped in from the culture, but it has nothing, it has no foundations or roots in the Word of God. And so we, as God's people, we take our cues not from the culture or from the world, especially when it comes to our identity as a Christian, we take our cues from the Bible. Amen. So what does the Bible say? What's the Bible's definition of a Christian? How does God's Word define who a Christian is and is not? And most importantly of all, how can I know if I truly am one of them? How can I know? How can you know if you truly are a Christian? When the, the, the people in the news, when they lump all of these people together as quote-unquote evangelical Christians, I want you to know there's a lot of people in that group who are not true believers, who are not truly Christian. And so what does it mean, and how can I know if I truly am a Christian. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. Lord, as we come to the pages of Scripture, Lord, even though you used men to, to write these words, ultimately these are not the words of man. These are the words of God. You moved upon men by your Holy Spirit so that they communicated to us not their word, but your word. Lord, let your word be fruitful in our lives today as your people. Let it go deep down into our hearts and produce good fruit that would would ultimately lead to life eternal and that we would be faithful to you until your return. In Jesus' name, amen. The biblical definition of a Christian, I'm gonna read two passages to you today. Uh, The first is from John chapter three. John chapter three. In John chapter three, Jesus is meeting with a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a, a ruler of the Jewish people. He was someone who was trained in the scriptures. He knew the scriptures, yet he did not know who Jesus was as the Messiah. And so Nicodemus comes to meet with Jesus, and Jesus begins to impart unto Nicodemus some very important spiritual truths. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, he says, truly, truly, now, if someone sat you down and sat across the table from you and they, they, they wanted to get your attention, you know, they would say, listen to this. Listen to me. Listen to the words I am saying. Look you right in the eye. That's what Jesus is doing when he says this statement, truly, truly. He, he's underscoring. He's emphasizing. He's saying, listen, what I'm about to tell you is so important. You need to hear this. You need to listen to this. He looks him right in the eye and he says, truly, truly, 
I say to you, unless a man, unless one is born again, say this statement, born again, born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? This is blowing Nicodemus's mind, right? It's the little, little emoji with the atomic bomb coming out of its head, right? The mind blown. He's trying to figure this out. Okay, I, I want to enter into the kingdom of God. I want to be a part of God's people. I, I want to ha have access to God's presence, but I have to be born again. How in the world can this happen? He's kind of talking out loud and processing out loud. Can I go back into my mother's womb? Like, that doesn't make any sense, Jesus. Jesus clarifies for Nicodemus. In verse 5, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. So Jesus here, meeting with Nicodemus, he, inter he, he introduces this concept that is very important to us as God's people, to us as Christians today, and that is the issue of rebirth. Rebirth, being born again. There is a difference in someone who is a Christian culturally or they call themselves Christian because their parents were Christians or their grandparents were Christians, and someone who has had this encounter with God that causes them to be born again. You are born naturally, natural birth. That's how we all got here today. We thank the Lord every day on Mother's Day for our mothers, amen? But when we are born, the Bible tells us that we are born into sin, separated from God, spiritually dead. And Jesus comes and says, unless you are born again, spiritually, you cannot have a relationship with God, you cannot have your sins forgiven, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus is not talking about being reborn naturally. He's talking about spiritual birth. He says that which is of the flesh is flesh, and that which is of the spirit is spirit. Ephesians chapter 2, I want to read you this passage from Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verse 1, talking about our spiritual state when we are born Naturally, the Apostle Paul writes that you were dead. Everybody say dead. That's not good. The, the, the picture that Paul paints here is, is bleak. When you are dead, you have no life. When you are dead, what can you do? Nothing. When you are dead, what hope do you have? No hope. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, that sin in our lives produces spiritual death, that we are born in sin, so we, have a, we are sinners by nature, but all of us have chosen to sin. And so not only are we sinners by nature, we're also sinners by 
choice and this lifestyle of sin produces in us death. You are dead in your trespasses and sins. Now, Paul here is writing to the saints in Ephesus. He's writing to the Christians. He's reminding them of who they were before Christ. Notice here, he says, you were dead. That's a great time for it to be past tense. Amen. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, past tense, following the course of this world. That's just doing whatever the culture says, just following after our fallen culture. He says this produced spiritual death in your life. You were just walking through life spiritually dead, following the prince of the power of the air. This is demonic spirits and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. What an encouraging passage. This is a bleak picture. This is not a pretty picture. If you are in this state, you are, it says, under the wrath of God, awaiting God's impending judgment on the world against sin. And you're dead. And there's nothing you can do to fix your fallen state or condition because you have no spiritual life. And that's what I have for you today, so let's just close in prayer. No, of course not. Of course not. I'm going to be glad it doesn't end there. Verse 4, continuing, but God. Everybody say, but God. But God, who is being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him, and he seated us with Christ in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that the, in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable greatness of his riches in grace, in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. This is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast." This is, in a nutshell, the gospel message, that we have fallen short of God's holy and righteous standard. God created us without sin, yet humanity has chosen sin. God created humanity to be in relationship with him, to bear his image, to show forth his glory, and humanity has walked away from God and chosen not to follow after God, but to follow after Satan. And that because of that, we are lost, we are hopeless, and we are spiritually dead. But God. 
but God who so loved the world sent his only son to die on a cross bearing the sins of the world so that whoever believes upon him would not perish but have eternal and everlasting life, would have relationship with God restored. And this is not our own doing. I can't boast in my salvation. I can boast in the cross of Christ, which purchased my salvation. I can boast in God who has saved me, who has redeemed me. But I cannot walk around with a a badge of pride on me and boast that, oh, wow, I'm so much better than everybody else because I'm a Christian. No, actually, to be a Christian is to be one of the most humble people on the face of the earth because we realize that if it weren't for the grace of God, the unmerited favor of God that I don't deserve, that God saved me on my worst day, that I did nothing to earn my salvation. One of my favorite quotes is by Jonathan Edwards who says, the only thing I, com- I, the only thing I contributed to my salvation was the sin that made it necessary. I have contributed nothing to my salvation. Even the faith, I'm saved by grace through faith. Even the faith that I exercise which is the medium that I uh, uh, receive God's grace from. You know where the Bible tells us that faith comes from? God. That God is the one who apportions to each a measure of faith. So that even in exercising my faith to receive grace, as I put my faith in Jesus, that's even a gift from God. That I have nothing to boast I was spiritually dead, but God has chosen me and called me and set me free and called me by name and, and seated me now and caused me to become alive with Christ and seated me in heavenly places, this spiritual rebirth. Amen. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to be a Christian, that I was dead, but because of Jesus, now I'm alive. I was blind, but God has given me eyes to see the truth. I was deaf. I could not hear, but God gave me ears to hear, and his word has penetrated my heart, and he has done a work of rebirth by his spirit. I cannot cause myself to be reborn. That's only a work of his spirit in my life. And so all of it is grace. All of it is God's favor that I don't deserve. If I got what I deserve, oh, I would, I would, I would cease to exist. I, I couldn't even, if I got what I deserved. But yet God has, has lavished upon me kindness because of his great love for me. Not a love that I deserve or that I've worked for or that I've earned but a love that he has bestowed upon me, even in my weakness, even in my faults, even in my failures, even in my sin. He has loved me and given his son for me. It is all about the grace of God, the grace of God. And this is what it means to be a Christian, a true Christian by biblical terms is someone who has been reborn by the Spirit of God. 
reborn by the Spirit of God. The, the, the language the Bible uses the most to talk about people who have had this born-again encounter, this born-again experience, the language it uses the most is these two words, in Christ. In Christ. That you once were in the world, but now you are in Christ. So in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation that's reborn. The old man of sin and death and shame and foolishness and folly and following after the world, that man is gone. The old life is gone. Now we have a new life in Christ. What does it mean to be a Christian? It means I am now in Christ, spiritually reborn. This is not a work of the flesh. I have to underscore this. We live in a world and in a culture that is performance-based. Christianity is not performance-based relationship. It's not based on your performance. It actually is performance-based. It's based on Jesus' performance in your place on the cross. But thank God it's not based on your performance, your good works, your keeping the rules. That's not what Christianity is about. However, that's what the world thinks that it is. So people go on talk shows and they say, well, if, it's, if you're a good Christian, you would be doing X, Y, and Z. And I say, you know what? I, I'm a fallen, broken person. I can't even live up to God's righteous standard. But thankfully, when I fall and fail, he doesn't throw me out. That when we do sin, we do have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. And our relationship with God is based on his works for us, not our own. In John chapter 1, along these lines, John writes, and, and he says this, that Jesus was the true light which was coming into the world, that Jesus came to his own people, and his own people did not receive him, verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, that's faith, he, the Father God, gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So to be a Christian is to be someone who is born again, not of the will of the flesh, not of my own will, but the will of God causes my rebirth. This is what it means to be a Christian. It is a spiritual and supernatural transformation that happens at the core of who you are. Being a Christian is not a matter simply of confession. There's a lot of people who confess Christ who know not Christ. Being a Christian is not a matter of profession. A lot of people profess Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. They have not been born again. Being a Christian is a matter not of confession nor of profession. Being a Christian is a matter of possession. Does Christ possess you? Do you belong 
to Jesus and does he belong to you? Are you his and is he your God? Do I possess genuine faith? It's not a matter simply of confessing or professing. It must be a matter of possessing that I am a child of God, born again by the Spirit of God. Now, practically speaking today, I want to close by giving you some tests, some ways that you can examine yourself I'm going to underscore that. Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Because as I said before, you can say you're a Christian. You can come to church. You can be a part of a, uh, you can be a member and, and still have never experienced this born again walk faith with the Lord. And so Paul, when he writes in 2 Corinthians he writes to a church that is in a lot of trouble. And in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, he, he encourages them. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. He says, test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, he says, you fail to meet the test. So I'm gonna give you six ways today, six tests, six ways that you can see and measure yourself with God and say, it, it, does it look like as I examine my life, and again, examine your life. Don't use this as a way to examine your neighbor's life, your coworker's life, Today, I want us to examine our lives, realizing that these tests that I'm about to give, they are not a way to earn your salvation. It's not a matter of, if I do these things, then I am saved. It's a matter of, if I am saved, I will be doing these things. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, no works at all, but faith that saves is never alone. The faith that saves, genuine faith that leads to salvation, it always comes with some genuine marks of a true believer. And so let's look at these today. I pray that it would encourage the majority of us in here and that if you're in here today and at the end you say, I don't know where I stand with God, I want to lead you in a prayer of repentance and confession and encourage you to put your faith in Jesus Christ today. All of these that we're going to look at today, all of them are a work of God's Holy Spirit in our lives. None of these we can produce on our own. They have to be produced in us as we work with the Holy Spirit on this process of sanctification in our lives. Number one test for us today is, do you love God? Do you love God? I hope you can say yes. I love God. They asked Jesus what was the greatest commandment. 
And Jesus said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. At the risk of stating the obvious, to be a Christian, you must love God. Right? Like, if you don't love God, you're not a Christian. Let me just put it that way. You have to love God to be a Christian. You, you, you can't hate God and be a Christian. It, it just doesn't work that way. You have to love God. Do you love God? Do you see the affection in your heart towards God? Are you passionate about God and the things of God? You see, true love, genuine love, it, it, it's not a dead love. You know, if I looked at my wife and just said, I love you, but never had any sort of passion towards her, she would start to wonder if I really loved her, right? When you love someone, you also want to spend time with them. Have you, have you experienced that? Like if I say I love my wife, but I never want to be around her, she should start to question whether I really love her. The, the genuine love is marked by passion. It's marked by desire to be in their presence. I love God. You know, we sang that song this morning, we adore you, Lord. Passionate about God. Passionate about the things of God. When someone starts talking to you about the Bible and Jesus and, and God, you get excited. Oh, yes, I love the Lord. I, I want to talk about him. Or do you kind of, you know, oh, okay. When can we go eat? How much longer is this going to last today? Do you love God? That's the first test for you. You know, you can tell uh, when, where someone is at with their walk with the Lord when you talk to them about the things of God and you can, you ever know when like people are, they're still there in front of you but they've checked out mentally? Like they're looking at you but you, the, you might as well be invisible. They're just staring through you like you don't even exist. But then you start talking about the spurs, and all of a sudden, they're reborn. I mean, their eyes light up. They can tell you about, you know, the 14th person on the roster. They can tell you about the Austin Spurs and all these D-League, you know, people. And, like, they're so excited about the spurs. You talk about the things of God, and it's like, it's like a, you put a wet blanket on them. Or you talk to them about the cowboys, and they start crying, you know, like <laughs> real tears. They have a Tony Romo jersey, you know, hanging above their television at home, and the shrine to Tim Duncan, right? Or, you know, for you ladies or whatever, I don't know what ladies are into. You start talking about hair and makeup and shoes. I, I guess that's what women are into. I don't know. Um, or the Kardashians or what the first family in Europe is doing or the royal family, I don't know. Whatever women are into, I have no idea. But you get all excited and, you know, I got my nails done and look at how pretty they are and we start talking about the things of God and it's just like, sometimes I think I'm, I'm the most boring person to hang out with because I can talk to you about five minutes about the Spurs 
that's about all I have to say. I could talk to you about 10 minutes for the coffee, if you want to talk about coffee. <laughs> Conversation could probably go 10 minutes. I could probably stretch that to 30 minutes, honestly, coffee. <laughs> Especially if I'm drinking coffee. That... I could probably talk to you about 20 minutes about Mexican food. But man, about five minutes of spurs and 10 minutes of coffee and 20 minutes of Mexican food, I've got nothing. But man, start talking to me about the things of God, the Bible, church, Jesus, ministry, small groups. Man, I can talk forever because I love God. I love the things of God. I love hearing about what God's doing in other people's lives. Do you love God? Number two, do you love God's people? You can tell you're a Christian if you love God's people. 1 John 5, 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. That's 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. If you love God, you will love God's people. John 13, 35. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So, you cannot love God and hate the church. You cannot love Jesus and hate his bride. It doesn't work that way. Now, is the church perfect? Not yet. We're an imperfect group full of imperfect people, full of flawed people and broken people. And so do, do sometimes imperfect things happen in the church? All of the time. But listen, something doesn't have to be perfect for you to see it as glorious and beautiful. There is glory and beauty in imperfect things. But if you hate the church, you want nothing to do with the church, you can't stand Christians or God's people, you should really question whether you have truly been born of God. Again, this is not my standard. Don't shoot the messenger. This is the word. Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Why? Because that makes us brothers and sisters. And we love our family. Number three, test to see if you are in the faith. You love God's word. Do you love God's word? John 10, 27, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. This is point number three. You love God's word word. When you open God's word, when you open the Bible, do you hear Jesus's voice? Do you recognize the voice of your master in this book? Psalm 119, 47 and 97 says, I delight in your commandments because I love them. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Do you love God's word? Amen. Number four, you bear good fruit. You bear good fruit with your life. 
This is the fourth test of whether you are a born-again Christian. John 15, verses 5 and 8, Jesus says, I am the true vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears good fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Number four, you bear good fruit. In Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23, we see a list of the fruit that we bear as Christians. So as you examine your life, do you see that you, the Holy Spirit, that God is, is, is producing good fruit within your life? Or do you see no fruit whatsoever of Christ and God and his work in your life? The fifth test, the fifth test is this, that you repent of sin. That you repent of sin. What do you do when someone calls you on your sin? What do you do when the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin? Two examples we see of, of opposing responses to being called out on sin is in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, we see King Saul who sinned. He disobeyed God's word. And when the prophet came to him, the prophet Samuel came to King Saul and said, you have sinned against God. You know what King Saul did? He blamed his circumstances. He said, well, you don't understand. The, this is how it happened, and this is why I had to disobey. He blamed other people. Ultimately, he blamed the prophet himself. David also sinned against God, King David. King David, in about a one-month span of time, he broke like all the Ten Commandments. He coveted another man's wife. He, he basically committed idolatry because he put her before his relationship with God. He committed adultery with her. He stole this man's wife from uh, him. And he ultimately had that man killed in about a one month span of time. He breaks all of these commandments. Yet, when the prophet comes to him and says, you are the man who has committed this horrible sin, do you know what David does? He falls on his face in confession and repentance. And in Psalm chapter 51, 17, we see a, a glimpse of this prayer that he prayed. He said, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And you know what, Jesus, you know what the Bible says about David? The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. I wouldn't expect that man to have been an adulterer, a thief, a liar, a stealer, and a murderer. Yet, it's not by our works that we are justified. All of us have broken God's commandments and law. But when we are confronted with our sin, do we persist in it, running from God? Or do we repent and turn away from our sin and turn back to the God who loves us and who is redeeming us. This is one of the biggest tests for whether we are in the faith, whether we have been truly born again. When confronted with sin, do we humble ourselves in repentance or do we dig in our heels in pride? Number six, uh, finally, uh, this is a, 
Another way that you can test where you are with your walk with the Lord is that you are totally surrendered to God. You are totally surrendered to God. Now, you can be a Christian and not be totally surrendered to God, but this is the goal. This is what we should all be striving for. This is what we should all be aiming for. Paul writes it this way in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Again, it's not about keeping a certain set of rules that makes us a Christian. It's about surrendering our life, being crucified with Christ, laying our life down. That's laying down our dreams, our desires, our wants. You know, there was a song that came out a few years ago called Jesus Take the Wheel. Uh, I didn't mean to quote that this morning, but a lot of times when, when we quote unquote give our lives to Christ, we, we put our faith in him and we invite Jesus to, to get in our car. Yeah, you can, you can ride in my car, Jesus. And you, you can tell me where to go. Just tell me where to go. I'll, I'll go there. And we're content to follow where he leads as long as it's where we want to go. But as soon as Jesus says, take a left here, and we look over there and we say, that looks like a bumpy road, Jesus. I think I'm just going to keep going straight. We've invited him into our lives, but we haven't fully surrendered. And what a fully surrendered life says, Jesus, you're in the driver's seat. Jesus, you own my life. You own the car. You own it all. Wherever you lead, I will go. Whether it causes pain or heartache or hardship or suffering or loss, whatever the cost, I'm going to trust in you. If it means I lose friends, if it means I lose relationships, if it means I'm ostracized from the culture by bearing the name of Christ, whatever it means, I trust in you. I am surrendered to you. You can be a Christian, you can be born again and struggle with this, struggle with giving Jesus full control in your life. I've been there. I've been at that place. Uh, grew up in this church, was, was born again at a very early age, put my faith in Christ. But as we develop and as we grow and as we mature, as God leads us from one place to the next, what he's calling us into oftentimes is a deeper level of surrender. And so without knowing it, sometimes we've put Jesus in the passenger seat and we've taken the wheel of our life again. And I've, I've spent about 10 years of my life in my teens and early 20s of, of really struggling to surrender everything to God. That's not a fun place to be. It's a very difficult place to be. And oftentimes we're afraid of, of if, if I surrender everything, if I give everything to God, what will that cost me? But here Paul says that to be a Christian is to be crucified with Christ, and that if we really want Jesus' life and spirit in us, living through us completely, it requires wholehearted surrender. 
And just as Jesus went to the cross willingly, willingly laid down his life, willingly surrendered his life, willingly laid down on that cross, so he calls us to do the same with our lives. That we willingly surrender every area, every relationship, every word, every thought, every action, every deed, every desire, every emotion, every attitude, every right we surrender to him. And we can do it and we can trust him because we know that he's always good and he's always faithful. And as we do that, then we really experience the fullness of him living in us and it not being our life anymore, but really the life of Christ expressed in our thoughts, in our actions, in our deeds, and that we would be victorious. So these are just a few tests that you can use to examine yourself. Do you love God? Do you love God's people? Do you love God's word? Are you bearing good fruit? Are you repenting of sin? And are you totally surrendering every area to God? I pray that you are passing the test today. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that teaches us, that shows us Lord, that being one of your people is so much more than just saying a simple prayer or, or confessing a few creeds or, or any other work or keeping a few rules, Lord, that, that really to be one of your people, we must be born again. Lord, the only thing that is making this possible is your grace, the grace of God expressed on the cross of Jesus Christ. Lord, as you went to the cross willingly, you laid down your life, shed your blood, paid the price, the penalty, the payment for our sin, took our judgment, took our shame, took our defeat, so that we could be reconciled to the Father so that through faith in you we could be transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Thank you that you rose from the dead, that death could not hold you down, that you are victorious, that we who are in Christ, we are no longer full of shame and defeat, but that we are full of victory, and that you welcome us into your presence with open arms, a new creation. Lord, for those who are here today who have yet to put their faith and trust and hope in you, God, I pray that your spirit would move upon their hearts right now, that the gift of faith would be birthed within them and they would exercise it in Christ Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. If you're here today and you say, that's me, pastor, I want you to pray with me. I want to put my faith in Jesus today. I, I believe that he is my savior. I believe that he is the son of God. I believe that he died for my sins. I believe that he rose again to give me new life. Pray with me, pastor. If that's you, would you raise your hand today? I want to pray with you. I want to pray with you today. Amen. Let's pray this prayer together. Several hands have gone up. As you pray this prayer, I want you to pray in faith. I want you to pray believing that Jesus is who he said he was, that he did what he came to do, that he is right now seated at the right hand of God, interceding on your behalf. 
that he is right now calling you by name, that he is right now ushering you into a new kingdom, that he is right now causing you to be born again. Let's pray this prayer together. Let's all pray. Heavenly Father, I repent of my sin. I ask you to cleanse me. I ask you to save me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross in my place for my sin. Help me to live for you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap today. If you prayed that prayer today, we would love to connect with you. In the back of your seat or in the front of your seat, uh, there's a little card that you can fill out. And on there, you can put a little information and say, I prayed to receive Christ today. And if you'll take that card uh, to our connection point in the foyer, there'll be some people there to greet you. Uh, If you need a Bible, we'd love to give you a Bible. If you need more prayer, we'd love to pray with you. But we're just so happy and excited for you. We believe that God is working in your life today. Amen. I'm going to invite the ushers to come, and we're going to have a time of giving this morning. And how many of you are thankful for all of the many gifts and blessings that we receive daily from the Lord? Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you that everything we have, uh, it belongs to you. Lord, you call us to be good stewards of what you've entrusted to us. Lord, as we give today in this offering, we give in faith, believing in your word that teaches us to give, that instructs us to give cheerfully and faithfully. And I thank you that this church is full of cheerful and faithful givers. Lord, I thank you that you uh, are using us in this community to be a light. Help us, Lord, to, to use what is given to to steward it well, to to continue to be a light to this community and around the world. In Jesus' name, amen.